I am here today with singer, songwriter, documentary filmmaker, and yogini Marianne Dessart. Bonjour, Marianne. Bonjour. <laughs> How are you today? Well, I'm quite well. I'm seeing Paris go by from the inside of a taxi at about one mile an hour. So welcome to rush hour. Is the traffic worse in Paris or L.A.? You know, I think right now I'm going to be all completely self-centered and go, it sucks in Paris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sucks here and too. Last time, last time I was in Los Angeles in April, I only took the metro, so it was heaven. Yeah, I really wish they would expand that. I, I, every time I go to downtown LA, I think, if I just lived here, I would never have to drive again, and that would be so great. I'm that close to moving back to Los Angeles since, you know, the public transportation has gotten so much better. It re if, you, if you're in downtown or Silver Lake or around there uh, or Hollywood, it really is. It's much better. <laughs> Orange County, though, where we are down here is still terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so how, uh, how long has it been since you've been to Los Angeles or lived, lived here? Well, the last time I lived in L.A. was actually 19, well, like 20 years ago, seriously. And I remember having this, this moment where I was stuck in my car on the I-10 going, I, I have to leave the town. I, have, I can't be in a car anymore. And then I moved to Tucson, Arizona. Um, I think it was 93 or 94. Um, and I've, you know, I had a strange relationship to California and Los Angeles at the time. I, I was very glad to be gone, and I've been missing it ever since. It's a strange thing. And I think I left Tucson, Arizona, where I lived, 20 years after that, um, I left Tucson a couple of years ago, and I kept thinking, where in the States should I, could I be living? And I kept thinking, Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Um, but who knows? So you moved, you moved from France to Arizona first, right? When you were, when you were young, is that correct? Yeah, when I was a teenager at 16, my parents got, uh, my dad got a job in Phoenix, so we moved there, and 19... And that was 30 years ago. It was 1985, actually. And Phoenix was not even a quarter of what it is now. So it's like a whole different state, a whole different place, I'm sure. Um, but then I was in Los Angeles when I went to film school. I went to USC film school um, as an undergrad and uh, just ran around for you know a few years with people like Greg Araki and <laughs> all the indie scene from that early 90s, which was really cool. Yeah, I, the Doom Generation is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> when I was no a, kidding, a I know. <laughs> God, it was so much fun running around like at night on like basically on like donuts fumes, pretty much. That's that was our our coffee choice. Wow, that that must have been really cool to to be there. So, one thing I was wondering, having been to both France and Arizona, is I can't think of two very more different places than those two what was the what was the culture shock like coming from a place like france to a place like like phoenix well the thing is i moved from a village of a couple thousand people to a high school of two thousand people and it seemed um everybody was into something like i went from a place a high school a teenage life where everybody was pretty much the same to you know five rockabilly kids five straight edge kids five uh, jocks, five of everything. It was just, you had to pick and choose. You had to figure out your tribe. It was a strange thing. So I just kind of went into my own tribe of like, I'm the French girl who doesn't speak much. And <laughs> we went into shock, but, you know, kind of figured it out after a while. And 
it's it i don't know you get used to being in a life that in between i mean this it's so many of our experiences this day so many people i know are from another place but living somewhere else and having to trade two languages two cultures three cultures four cultures um it's just part of the modern experience which one feels like home to you Oh God, both known. <laughs> One thing I've been dying, dying to to do this month is to do an actual proper Thanksgiving in Paris or wherever I was going to be. So, um, last time I, I had a proper Thanksgiving was in Palermo, Sicily, three two years ago, and um, I I hang on to things like that. Um, I don't hang on to everything from the places I'm from, but just to the nice ones what's your favorite thanksgiving food i'm my specialty is a tricolor mashed potatoes blue sweet potatoes and then the the white potatoes and i don't like mash them completely so you still get the colors like kind of chunky oh that sounds really and good and i don't use butter yeah what do you use instead of butter i can't remember i am better <laughs> i've had a brush up on my own recipe um probably olive oil that's sort of the Italian touch these days. That sounds delicious. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of, of, of moving and different cultures, I, I know that you have written lyrics and, and poems in both French and English. Which, which do you prefer? Which comes easier? Uh, they all come pretty easy in a sense, but it really depends where they come from. In a sense, writing in French, being in America made sense. Um, and now that I moved back to Europe, I'm actually writing my first book in English. So it's, you know, comes with the territory, I would say. It's like you you want perspective. So wherever you are, you look at something that's not there and, and speak about it in a language that's probably not there either. Uh, what do you think of the resurgence in French artists who are now writing more songs in French versus uh, before where where it was uh, almost exclusively if you wanted to be a musician in France you had to write in English well I don't know if it's really true that to be a musician in France you had to write in English or in French for that matter it's it's an eternal debate and and there's been people on both sides of the aisle saying, you know, you should do this, you should do that. And then there's also been the people, which actually makes me laugh, that will tell you, um, you know, maybe you should try singing in both. You should try mixing. You should try... It, it doesn't... To me, it's, it's a false debate. Um, there are some French people who can manage to make French sound like a language that's alive, that's fit to the music. There are songs that will be in a different tradition. They'll be in the tradition of more of a chanson and poetry where, yes, it makes sense if it's sung in French. No matter what language you use, you have to make it work with the music. And I don't know. There's so many, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a debate about which language you use. It's more about which style of music, what sort of music you want to, who you want to talk to, who your audience is. Um, it, it's a confusing thing for me. It's really at the core of what I'm, I'm about, uh, because I've been singing in French to people who don't understand French, and I love it. 
I love being able to hide behind that, but also to reveal something about not just myself, but what people expect and what they, what their cliche of French singer chanteuse is. And I want to turn that on its head and just like stemple that, you know, just make something, some other mash, you know, out of it. Um, and and if I start singing in English, then the French people are like, oh, you're actually more French when you do that. So I love the complexity and the mess of it. It's just fun. I think that's fantastic. I think that's kind of one of my favorite things about the French underground music scene is how it kind of flips expectations over and, and on their heads and just plays with what people expect from, from French music and from just music in general and, and those kind of hidden things and hidden meanings and, you know, regardless of whether, you know, or, or in what proficiency you speak the language, there are things to kind of explore and think about what music means and what lyrics mean and, and how that all fits together. No, I think I think I can't help but cringe when I hear a French person trying to sound like an American person or an American band or be in a style. Uh, it's just whatever, just don't try to copy. It doesn't matter what language you could sing in. It's just don't don't try to be from America if you're not from there, but just be from where you are one of you know actually okay this my favorite french band seriously is a band called inspector cluseau they're from the boondocks they're from the countryside they're so proud of their roots and their culture they have a farm when they're not touring the world and they've toured like 50 or 200 countries um they're raising ducks and geese and they're making foie gras you know how french is that uh seriously they're, you know, growing their own corn and feeding it to their animals. Um, but they sing in English, and the guy's got an amazing voice. When you first hear Inspector Cluseau, you're like, that's an American band. There's no way this is a French band. Um, Curtis Mayfield, the guy sounds exactly like Curtis Mayfield, but it's not, it doesn't even sound like a copy. It's so beautiful. But they're so French. I love that. I'll have to check that out. I will. I will see if I can. I can find a song from them and maybe play it at some point uh, during this. Or it's it, completely it not chanson. You know, it's not. It's not playing on any cliche. I mean, musically, musically of the Frenchness. Um, you know, actually doing foie gras at their farm. That's probably. That's not even a cliche. That's what they do. That's what people have been doing in that region for quite a long time. Yeah, it's funny. It's the, the uh, you know, in America, I think people are still sort of wedded to the idea that French music is like Francois Hardy and, and Serge Gainsbourg and, and they, they don't, I, I think the, the mission, I, I don't know, for me anyway, is to say, yes, that, that stuff's really fun and it's fun to listen to and it's beautiful, but there's also, like, it, it kept going from there. French music didn't cut off in the 60s um, and that, you know, people are still making really great music and, and, and that's a there's a, some great scenes out there that that are worth exploring and worth listening to that people are being very creative and I think one of the I don't know if maybe this is a reason 
or or not and I'm interested to hear your take but my understanding is that when you live in France as a as a musician you don't it's it's different from America where here you have maybe a day job unless you you know make a lot of money and can be a professional musician full time and then you do that when you can whereas in France you have you have a little bit more freedom um because the way that the government maybe works and maybe that's good or bad and you can probably explain more than I but that you can be a professional musician without having to you know be an accountant during the day or something like that is that right well the thing is that being a professional musician here um has comes with a good hefty size of accounting to be a professional musician meaning you don't have to have another job you're covered and you're considered and you're catalog as a musician with all the social perks and safety net that that entails um you have to play a certain number of shows you have to have a minimum number of shows per month or per year which means that um you play within france because the shows you would do outside of france the shows that wouldn't be in a certain way um uh administrative way wouldn't count for those numbers of hours. Um, so you're not propelled to go outside of your zone. You're just kind of propelled to go for the safe number. Um, so, yeah, it is possible to live a certain middle-class life as a musician in France or an artist in general, uh, but it's under danger. Um, it's more and more difficult, and it does not necessarily give you that sort of edge um that that i've definitely found in america um so you know the no two systems are perfect for sure so does it you're are you in some ways prevented from from touring outside of outside of france when you when you do that when you choose that lifestyle well it's not like you're prevented it's like the whole system from your booking agent to your label to everybody is basically geared toward making money and to fitting into the system the system will take care of you if you take care of the system so you know it it just keeps you within those borders both literally and figuratively of of being a french musician working within a french system of culture That's you know, it's like people pay their taxes here to hear you be part of the culture that they pay taxes for. So I don't know, that's kind of a complicated way of saying it. But No, it's interesting because I think a lot of musicians here maybe think, oh, gosh, you know, if only I could spend more time on my music, if only I could do this, you know, if only I had some support. It, you know, obviously the American system is very difficult, you know, even with healthcare reform, it's just, it's just not easy, uh, you know, to get by. There's no safety net. But that I guess that you're right. That does have a flip side, which is now you're you're kind of accountable to the government for the art you make, and that is you know in its own way a kind of bizarre uh, system to to be a part of, and and create some maybe some bizarre uh, motivations. <laughs> and, and and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a support system. So you're supporting the system. The system is supporting you. Um, The, you know, the more time you spend trying to fit in, the less time. It, it's a constant struggle. I don't know. I see a lot of my musicians' friends here, you know, f spending hours and hours trying to fill in some paperwork and do this and do that so they can actually uh, work the system. Um, I'm not part of it. I'm actually still 
legally in America, an American. So I look at it from the outside. I don't have those benefits. I'm, I'm sure it would be great, but I'm still sort of a, a free electron, just like kind of bouncing around Europe. I like that metaphor a lot. <laughs> I think that's a good segue. I understand that you're going on tour soon. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, like tomorrow. Uh, I'm actually, I was in the taxi when we started this conversation, like bringing a banjo, uh, a monitor, and a Fender Twin back to my place so I could have it available. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm on tour. <laughs> I'm back on tour. We're going to England. We're doing three shows in England, and then we're doing Paris, then we're doing Brussels. Um, uh, it used to be that, you know, coming from America to do European tours, I would have to come here and do like 30 shows in 30 days because you're in, a, in Europe and you got to do it. But since moving back to Europe, I can actually kind of pick and choose and do shorter tours, um, pick up my band in Paris and go to Germany or go to Italy and, you know, not kill ourselves on the road. That sounds much better. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite city to play in? Um, no, not really. Uh, it's it's hard to say. The cities I like living in, but there might not be the places I like. God, there's so many of them I've done. Um, Paris is always a struggle, though, <laughs> for some strange reason. Uh, maybe it's like playing. It's not quite home, but it's like playing in front of your parents. You know, you're like, oh my god they can't understand what I'm saying it's like I can't really show my ass because uh, you know it's like this is the people I grew up with um, so the cities in a way the further away they are from where I actually live at the moment the, the wilder my shows get because nobody knows me I get that that makes that makes total sense I I know that you have a, a, a series of, of albums that are recorded on the road that I think you call the City Series. Is that right? Paris, one takes, and Berlin, two takes. And then there's a, one, yeah. one called Cologne Vier Takes, which I think is that? Cologne Four Takes, yeah, yeah. That just came out this year. Um, yes, because there's such a, a special energy to being on the road doing those shows with a band. Uh, so the City Series albums are the songs from the actual album, but they're, you know, interpreted by the live band so um alternative to the studio albums and i love the energy of those tc series sure do you think the different cities affect the way the shows come out like do they add their own sort of little flavor to to each show yeah of course yeah i mean for example uh, actually you know i love playing in Aust austria uh, they've got some of the um, wildness and, and quirkness of Italian shows, um, the easygoing aspect to it, and then some of the just madness of Germany also, kind of a country in between. Uh, so you never know quite to expect. Yeah, I like doing shows in Vienna and places around there. Do you think that'll be the next in the in the series of road albums? I don't know. Hard to say. They kind of come out really spontaneously. It's like, oh, we've got a day off. Let's find a studio. So I don't really plan those out. It's like when the moment is right for those, when the band is right, when the shows feel right, it's like, let's find a studio for the day off. That's awesome. Um, I, 
One thing I also wanted to ask you about is the uh, your forthcoming. You have a best of album. Is that is that right? It's thir- thirteen songs and then a, a book as well with stories and photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's um, thirteen songs that were picked by um, my friend BK One. He's a Minneapolis DJ and producer. Uh, from the Wax Poetics and Rhyme Series label, and um, I gave him the terrible task, horrible task, of picking 13 songs, or actually however many he thought were worthy of the best of. So he came up with 13 songs, and then he wrote a long essay about me, which you know I blushingly put into the booklet. And that's coming out um, in a couple of months. Do you agree with his choices? <laughs> now I do. Of course, some of my favorite songs were not in there, but it makes complete sense because you know it comes out with a perspective. So it's it's he's right. He's put in songs that I would not have thought of putting in, but we mostly agree. I know that uh, there's a there's a crowdfunding campaign. I think uh, to to support the release of this this album and and booklet. Is this your first experience with crowdfunding? Um, no, actually, I did a little bit of crowdfunding to pay for uh, my trip to China, where I went um, like four years ago. Uh, I did some concerts there. I did a little tour uh, and uh, got on a train in Moscow. And you know, seven days later, I was actually in China. Um, yeah, no, those are fun because they're actually a great moment to interact with people who like my music. People will be asking questions. They would be like, "Oh, what's going on?" You know, it's just kind of. Um, strengthen the community of, of people. It's it's sweet. It's really sweet. Do you think that's a, a viable alternative to the traditional you know record label support system for musicians, or do you think it's more of just like a fun thing to do, kind of on the side? Yeah, it's just another. It's just another tool. Um, there's so many ways. I mean, I, you know, I could do it, but I don't have to do it. Um, it's a good way of. of getting people um, out there interested, talking, etc. But there's other ways. I could be on tour a lot more maybe and, you know, meet people that way also. I don't know. I think we're all searching for whatever fits our lifestyles and our needs, as, you know, when it comes to being a musician. I mean, it's constantly, we're constantly defining it, what it is being a musician. Is it playing a lot of shows? Is it doing a lot of studios? And some of my favorite musicians from the 70s never actually did any live concerts. So, who are who are your favorite musicians? I am so completely hooked into Harry Nilsson right now. It's like my obsession of the year. I know that you've collaborated with a number of of great musicians. Like, I know you did a lot with Calexico and and Giant Sand, Francoise Brut, uh, Freda, Orso Jozenka, uh, Budo, mm-hmm. and then I. Some personal favorites of mine are that you once played with uh, Jonathan Richmond's drummer, Tommy Larkins, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and who I will be seeing uh, in concert uh, here on December second. Uh, they're coming to play, which I love them. Um, and then you did a you did a, a, a get out the vote kind of drive with Linda Ronstadt in in Tucson in two thousand four. Is something I read on the internet. <laughs> is that is that oh, true? Oh yeah, the Tucson suffragettes. Yeah, that was the two thousand four presidential election. I started this group of like 17 women um yeah and the grand finale was a concert um the night of the election yes linda did sing and i was so 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 drunk by early evening when i 
kind of smelled where the election tide was turning. It was a bad, bad night. A wonderful night. I mean, it was great, but it was bad. Yeah, it, well, I'll get to that in just a second, but I was just curious how, how you... I, I absolutely love Linda Ronstadt. I grew up listening to her music, and so I was just curious how you, how you got to, to meet her and, and what you thought of, of that experience. She's a Tucson she's babe, and she's a, you know, a Democrat all the way through. Um, so it made sense, you know? We were going after virgin voters, and we were definitely Democrat-leaning, for sure. So it made sense. I mean, it was a crazy wild night. Linda Ronstadt was playing, and then we had all the Tucson drag queens announcing election results as they were unfolding. Um, you know, plenty of bands playing. We had artwork by a bunch of people. It was, it was great. What's I it mean, like? Tucson. Tucson's really great when it comes to community. It's like, wow, we can do this kind of stuff. Is it weird to be a Democrat in a state like Arizona, which is one of the most conservative states, I think, in the United States? Yeah, but this, and in southern Arizona, it's different. Um, it's always been more left-leaning than the north and Phoenix. That's that's probably that's probably a haven. Um, do you have an opinion? What do you think is worse, the, the Front National or the Republican Party? <laughs> I think we should put them in bed together and let them you know, get busy and forget about us. Yeah. <laughs> if only, right? <laughs> um, so we talked a lot about about the, the music that you've done and, and the, the albums that you have coming out, but you also, uh, you mentioned this uh, earlier in the interview that you worked with Greg Araki and that you went to USC Film School. You're also a documentary filmmaker. Um, what came first for you, filmmaking or music, or did they come together? Um... Technically, filmmaking. I mean, when I was like 17, I was like, oh, I need to make films. That's it. That's my new thing. Um, I've never really learned any instruments. Um, I've never had that kind of training, but I've had an actual, you know, school training as a filmmaker. So I guess. Are you, are you still making films today? Yeah, I'm still dabbling. I'm still doing my own, you know, wild mix of music videos. Sometimes I make music videos for friends. Sometimes I make my own movies. Yeah, it's a mix. Do you, uh, you also, I think, do yoga, is that right? Yes. <laughs> I, I actually, you know, it's like 10 years ago when I decided I, I, I was going to be a singer. Um, the day after that election, that fated 2000 election, I, I knew that I also needed to learn to breathe. If I wanted to be a singer, I needed to learn to breathe. So I, I thought, well, how do you learn to breathe? Um, do yoga. Okay, so I did yoga um, and and approached, I guess, being in my body, being present, being on stage through that medium. And so 10 years um, into it, I've also um, started teaching yoga. Um, I only did that for one year in Paris, seriously, and then I realized, okay, I'm, I'm seriously, I need to get back on the road. Uh, I can't be a full-time yoga teacher, and I wrote a book about the experience, um, which is quite finished and hopefully comes out sometime next year. Yeah, that was going to be one of my my questions was to to ask about about the book and what the process was in writing it and how it was influenced by your yoga practice. <laughs> 
Well, for the one year where I started uh, training uh, to be a yoga teacher and then um, started teaching, I took daily notes of everything I was going through in my head, in my body. And after a year, I was like, okay, I'm ready to write the book. So I went to a quiet place and started writing and just kept writing as much as I could when I was not on the road. Um, the book is called The Cat, Not Me, Junk Memoirs of a Yogini. Um, so it's it's not a it's not a pretty yoga book. It's not where you're going to learn about poses. Hopefully, it goes deeper into what yoga actually can mean in our lives. Um, you're not going to read that kind of book for um, I don't know. It's the naked lunch of the yogini. Seriously, it's just that kind of a stretch. I really look forward to reading that. I loved Naked Lunch. So. <laughs> Thanks. Um, one question. I I come from L.A., which is sort of the land of the yoga studio. Is yoga as big in, in France as it is here or in Paris? Maybe not all of France, but in Yeah, Paris. Yeah, all, con- all considering that nothing is as big in America as it is in France. Like, we're a little more toned down in everything we do. Uh, but, yeah, if it wasn't for that, yes, it is as big. Um, one more question um, uh, about uh, the 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 book. Uh, wh- who is this cat? <laughs> you have you, you have an a, a, an album that's also titled "The Cat, Not Me." Is that what does that refer to? I don't know. It's my cat Edith, like Edith Piaf. I named her after Edith. Um, it's my cat. I've learned so much from my cat. When things were dark and down and lonely and my cat was there, and I just had to look at my cat and go, cat's always happy. Cat's, like, got sun and light and water and food and, you know, mice and lizards, and cat's happy. What's, what is there not to learn from that? So it's my life, lifeboat, life, you know, <laughs> my lesson. Yeah, as a as a as a dog owner, I you know I I understand. I think they're you know they have that just happy attitude all the time, and I you know you come home and nobody's ever more happy to see you than your pets, and you think okay, like that's oh no, <laughs> cat doesn't care. Cat's like whatever. No, no, that's cool. Yeah. I'm more you know I I can relate to that. It's like yeah, okay, I'm here. Yeah, so what? Um, as 2015 comes to an end, um. What do you look forward to the most in the coming year? Hmm. The book coming out and the new album. Yeah. Um, if all goes well, and I don't want to jinx it, I'm recording sometime in the spring <laughs> in English. All in English? Yep. Is this your first all English album? Yep. <laughs> you sound so excited. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be great. I'm quite thrilled. Um, so one last question. If I am to pick maybe three or four songs to play throughout this interview, which songs would you want me to pick? Oh, Election, Amletson, oh, Dolcirca. Awesome. And there you go. I guess that's true. <laughs> well, I will certainly, I will certainly cue those up and have those played. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really, really appreciate it, and I look forward to the album and the book. And uh, maybe you'll tour here again sometime, and we can come see you. I hope so. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. You too. Au revoir. Bye bye.